My Wax Museum is a proud member of the Create Find and is produced by Mecco Radio. Hey guys, real quick before we get into today's show, I just wanted to recommend that you go and check out the other Mecco Radio podcasts. You can do that on MeccoRadio.com. That's M-E-C-H-O Radio.com. We have some awesome stuff coming up for 2022. Can't wait for you to tune in. Now, onto the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by Ethan and Kana. We're going to talk a lot about community building in this episode because Ethan has been so intentional about going out and getting involved. It's something I really admire about him, so much so that after the show, I was actually asking him for some advice on how I can go out and get involved in my own community. Of course, we learn about the great example his parents set and the experience he's had living in a variety of places. It's a really cool conversation. And remember, after today's show, to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Ethan and Kana, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm excited to be here with you for the second time. Yeah, and I'm excited to have you by now. Your first episode, for sure, of Broken Bulbs has come out. So a little plug for that if people want to go check out Ethan on another one of our podcasts. Now, I always start off, like I said, with how we know each other. So we kind of, I guess, almost gave it away there. Do you want to fill people in how we got in touch? Yeah, we initially got in touch on Broken Bulbs and had the opportunity to chat about some of the experiences I've had. And and I think the cool thing about our conversation is a lot of it happened before and after the actual recording. So I appreciated getting to chat with you and just know you a little bit after the call, uh, which I think is a big reason why we're talking again. Yeah, yeah. We had a really good conversation and I was like, I just, you know, it wasn't any particular story you told or anything. I was just like, I just like chatting with this guy so I'm like I gotta have him the feeling is mutual man yeah. I felt the same way and and I feel like when when I get that vibe from a guest I do like the okay well have I had a broken bulbs guest on my wax museum lately you know because I don't want to overload it like I was telling you about so if there are any former guests of broken bulbs listening to this I'm sorry if I didn't invite you If you really want to be on My Wax Museum too, you can email me and let me know you'd like to guest on here as well. Totally okay. I just don't want to overload it with people from one sector of my life uh, so that I get just a greater variety of stories in here. Uh, But yeah, our conversation was just so good. So of course, I, I get into where you're from. So where are you from originally? Where did Ethan start? Yeah, I have had this kind of eclectic upbringing. Uh, My mom is a physician. My dad's a professor. And so we moved around quite a bit. And I don't know that it necessarily had to do with their professions, but just for context, um, I was born and raised in Illinois in Peoria, which is smack dab in the middle of the state of Illinois. And um, it's a small, you know, it's a small town. It's, It's not huge. It's, you know, Caterpillar, the big manufacturer, big you know, construction companies from there or based out of there. Um, I lived there until I was in high school. And then in high school, I moved to Puerto Rico for five years. So I had the really kind of jarring experience as a 13-year-old. I think I was 12 when we moved. Um, but, you know, we grew up comfortably. My mom having her, prof- you know, profession, my dad doing well for himself. And 
when we moved to Puerto Rico, I remember it was the first time that I saw poverty in a in a meaningful way. You know, we'd gone to soup shelters in Illinois and on Thanksgiving we'd go, you know, hand out food and things like that, but I'd never seen poverty around me every day. And um, so Puerto Rico was a really interesting experience for me, especially having a new cultural exposure. Um, I spent a little bit of time in Michigan where I went to college for my first year. I finished college in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, which is where my parents still live. We were there not too long, not too long ago. And um, I spent after college, I moved to California. I packed everything I had into my truck, moved to California for a 10 week internship, which I uh, which I assumed was going to turn into a full time job, which it did. Uh, and then after after California, I moved to Ohio for law school and business school. And then after Ohio, I moved here to Colorado. And I have been here for eight years now, which is crazy to say, because I haven't lived anywhere that long since elementary school, middle school. It's crazy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you like went through all these places that you live. That's always an interesting thing for me to hear about, because I grew up in the same place that I was born all my life, you know, and I'm there right now. And so this is so fascinating to me when, when I hear from somebody that they moved around and had all these experiences. And I'm particularly interested in Puerto Rico. I've never interviewed somebody who's lived in Puerto Rico, at least that I know of. And so fill me in. Why, why were you guys in Puerto Rico? And what was that experience like? Yeah, it was hugely transformative is the punchline. It was an experience that I would encourage anybody to have, and not necessarily Puerto Rico, but living abroad, leaving your comfort zone. It was jarring, but at the same time, transformative for me. Uh, and just to give you some context as to how that happened, um, you know, my we grew up in a deeply religious family, and my parents are still deeply religious. And my mom had an opportunity to do the work that she does as an anesthesiologist for a missionary hospital, meaning for a hospital that maybe just doesn't have the resources that larger hospitals like you or I are more familiar with and they need the help. So what that meant was we would move to a new place. Um, we would, my mom's salary would be cut into a fragment of what it was or a fraction of what it was before. Uh, and then my dad would go from being in real estate and an entrepreneur, having his own businesses, to teaching. Uh, and uh, coincidentally, uh, not so fortunately for me, his first teaching gig was my English class in high school, which wasn't awesome. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, again, you know, it was such a cool experience. And so that's kind of how we ended up there. But the experience I had there, I think the things that stand out to me as most impactful, right when we got there, we got there in 2007, I believe it was 2008, it was Hurricane George's hit. And it was my first experience with the tropical storm. It was devastating for the, for the island. Uh, we lost water, power, um, you lost your phone ability. So we had to drive down to the fire department, fill up these like five gallon water bottles so that we would have water in the house so that we could shower and use the restrooms and wash our hands. Um, so going from at 13, I knew what car I wanted when I was going to turn 16 to carrying water bottles to the top of our house or water buckets, I should say, to the top of our house so that we could shower 
was a distinctly disparate experience. And I learned how other people live when I was in Puerto Rico. And I had an appreciation, not just for other lifestyles, but other cultures. Uh, and I couldn't be happier for that opportunity. I learned Spanish while I was there, which was has been a hugely valuable tool. Um, but just being exposed to a new culture was uh, invaluable for my, my development. But I will say though, I often envy people like you who you, you have familiar faces and places. Every, everywhere I've lived for the past 20 years has been new to me. And so I've had to learn new streets and make new friends and find a new barber and a new dentist. And all of those things lend themselves to a sense of detachment maybe is, is a good word. And so you're, you're always somewhere, but never really there. Uh, and so I appreciate people like you who have the experience of you have roots. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to do here in Colorado with mentorship and coaching basketball. But um, I, I do envy people like you who have had an opportunity to like be somewhere and have roots and history uh, and see familiar places and smells like that. I wish I had that. Yeah, it is an interesting thing to to contrast uh, because I'm thinking about it and I think, you know, I can drive around the city with my eyes closed more or less, <laughs> right? Like I, I know exactly, I know where this pothole is. I know, you know, when it got there, <laughs> you know, like I'm very familiar with the area that I live in. And, and so it is interesting to hear about that, about how you in your adulthood are saying, okay, I guess this is where I'm going to live. You know, like th this is what I'm going to, going to do. Do you, obviously this is going to be colored by your experience now, but looking back at younger Ethan, was he, were you, you know, happy about traveling around or was there a little bit of like, why do we have to leave all the time? Yeah, man, I don't, that's a really good question. No one's ever asked me that. And I never frankly thought about that. I think, and I would have to question my mom on this. Now I'm going to ask her. I think I was fairly amenable to the change and in the respect that, yeah, it was a, I was leaving my friends. I was leaving the place I had known as my home but I, and I was really scared going to Puerto Rico. I remember being on the plane for the first time there. Like, did they have electricity in Puerto Rico? Did they, does anybody speak English? Like, are we going to live in a hut? I had no, no idea. And you would think that eighth, in eighth grade, I would already have learned some basic geography. Uh, but I knew nothing and was completely ignorant. Um, I think the hardest, the hardest thing for me now that I'm reflecting back on this, the hardest thing for me, Alex, was seeing them as people just like myself, kind of like how we started this conversation before the call, uh, before the recording. It's seeing other people just like myself and understanding that it's just the language. Yeah, there's, there's things that they contemplate differently, but what I learned in Puerto Rico, I think back to one of the things that I, my family struggled with early on was how slow things move. But after a couple of years, we learned that things don't move in Puerto Rico the way they do in the States. It's much slower. People care about the relationship. They care about the time together. They care about, uh, they care about 
re- being refreshed and relaxed in community, like things that sometimes I felt like were ancillary when we lived here in the States, but those are the primary focus uh, in Puerto Rico. And so I learned so much, not just about a different culture, but about a different way of seeing the world, not seeing the world as like these things to conquer and these activities and tasks, um, as opposed to seeing it as people and people that I care about and want to be around and you want to share with and learn from. Um, Puerto Rico really exposed my need for connection and community, which I don't know that I appreciated before that. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I myself had had experiences like that where you're like, wow, there's community here. Like, I like this. Yes. And so how now going forward, because you've continued to move, but now you've been in Colorado for a while. How have you decided to take those lessons of community building, of slowing down and paying attention to the people around you and building those relationships? How have you taken that into your life now? Yeah, great question. I learned that it doesn't happen on accident. You have to be intentional about that. And so when I moved to Denver, I was very intentional about connecting with the community here and being a part, making this my home. Because this was when I finished law school, where my head was, is I wanted to live somewhere that I wanted to live. I had made all of these decisions, California, Ohio, because of a job for school. I wanted to finally live somewhere that I choose because of where I am. I love the people and the environment and the landscape. And so I chose Denver very deliberately and Colorado very deliberately. So the first thing I did when I moved to Colorado is, and you guys may have this where you live, but here we have these things called pedal cabs. Basically they're bicycle rickshaws. So you have, you have a bicycle and then you have a cart with wheels in the back and you can, you know, wheel people around town. Okay. Uh, So I did that when I first moved here for like three summers. And the reason I did that was because I wanted to learn the city. I, I wanted to feel kind of the way that you feel where you're familiar with the turns and where things are. And I thought that's a really cool way to learn downtown really, really well. I also wanted to meet new people. And it was just such a cool way to just interact with people on a pretty regular basis. Um, but that, but starting out with the rickshaw was kind of my first way to say, how can I see this city in a way that a tourist might not see the city? So I started there. The second thing I did was I reached out to a number of high schools and said, I would love to help you guys coach basketball. I've coached in the past. I will do anything with the program. And so I've been with the same basketball, high school basketball program for about six years now, which has been fantastic. Um, And the last thing I did that I think is helping entrench me in the community is joining Big Brothers Big Sisters and and doing mentorship. So um, I've been a big brother for uh, seven years now. My big brother, or my little brother rather, just graduated high school last year. Um, So he's doing phenomenal. Um, But that was an important way. And so I do some other volunteers with some local high schools here as well with like middle schoolers, because I feel as though it's so important to, and in my mind, to give back, especially for kids. Um, There's so many kids who don't have the same opportunities that I had and the same access and support and especially kids that look like me. And so where I have an opportunity to provide support or just be a listening ear or just show up. Uh, I want to do that. So I, I think those are probably the three things 
that I've done that have been most meaningful for me feeling like this is this is truly home, you know? That is so cool. And, you know, when when you're talking about this, talking about caring for the people around you, caring for the people in the community, you mentioned how you guys moved to Puerto Rico because your mom was able to help at a hospital that needed it. And so it sounds like this, I mean, I guess ultimately everything comes back to this, but how you were raised, right? The the impact your parents had on you. Were there any particular lessons that you look back on and say like, oh yeah, dad taught me that or mom taught me that. And you know, that's really shaped who I am. Yeah, good question. Um, my mom used to tell me this, this saying when, when I was a kid and it, it, and I still hear her voice in my head whenever I'm trying to do this thing she told me not to do. She said, don't ever do a half job. She said, if you're going to do a half job, then just don't do it. And that sticks with me and has stuck with me as something that when I think about my commitment to anything, whether it's to my business, whether it's to the community, to basketball, if you're going to show up, then show up and be there, be present, be all in, but don't do things don't do things halfway. Don't be uh, wishy-washy or flaky. Like that's something that I just, I think my mom taught me and is something that I hold near and dear. I don't necessarily have to hear it out loud. I heard it enough as a kid. So now it's ingrained and I hear, I hear it whenever, um, whenever I'm thinking about, is this something I want to commit to? Like, are you going to be all in or are you just going to show up when it's convenient for you? And if it's the latter, then you just don't do it. Hey guys, Alex popping in here just at the halftime to remind you to go and check out the other podcasts from Mecco Radio. You can head over to meccoradio.com to check those out. That's M-E-C-H-O radio.com. Now, back to the show. To kind of shift gears a little bit as we start looking at the future of your life, you mentioned that you have a business and that you, you have something that you're working on. Can you tell me about that? And this is the point where actually I, I'd like you to plug it because there's not going to be a chance later on. We're going to use this plug and your business as context for the rest of the show going forward here. Yeah, absolutely. So I started this business, which really is a sports management agency, except my clients are physicians instead of elite professional athletes. So you might consider me the Jerry Maguire for doctors as opposed, for, as opposed to athletes. And I started this business right after I got laid off. And I, at that point in my life, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I had no idea what I was going to do next. I had to find a job. And I had this idea around physicians not having advocacy when it comes to getting a salary they deserve in their contract. And so I called my mom and I said, hey, is this, tell me how you negotiate your deals. Tell me how many, you know, what salary you should have. She said, we don't, I do it all myself. And that thought process led to um, me just dumping everything I had in my brain about sports agency and transferring that and superimposing it over the healthcare industry. And since then, so that was about a year and a half ago. Since then, I've built this business called Rocky Mountain Physician Agency, which is a national platform. And again, a sports management agency for doctors and basically my job is to get doctors a raise or get them a better contract than the one that they have so that they can bring in more income for themselves and for their families. I love that. I think it's really cool and a really interesting idea 
Um, and yeah, so I, I'm just fascinated by this. So I'm going to have a link in the show notes if anybody wants to check it out and, and see what you're creating here with this. So this is this is your project. This is what you're working on. Now you talk about not doing a half job and you work hard and, you know, and so I want to hear how moving forward into your future, this, your business, as well as anything else that you're doing, this community building that you're doing, what does that look like for you going forward? Yeah, that's, I am still figuring that out if I'm being completely transparent. Um, I think the conclusion that I aspire to is I want physician agency to be as ubiquitous as sports agency. I want doctors to as commonly have a, an agent as sports athletes do because they deserve it. And they, you know, they spent 20, 25 years learning this skill and this expertise and learned nothing and were given no education or training about their contracts, just like athletes. And athletes find someone to advocate for them. And I believe that doctors should do the same. So when I think about the future and really kind of the, the, the goal for the business is I want this to be a national presence uh, here, here in American healthcare. And I think about, you know, as far as my, the other things that I'm involved in, I, I want to continue to entrench myself in this community. And what I mean by that specifically is I had a, a middle, um, a public school system reach out last week looking for volunteers for mentorship. And, you know, I raised my hand and said, I'd love to do it. And so those opportunities will come up now. And I think they're more fruitful now that this is my, now that RMPA is my full-time deal. I'm now much more open to opportunities outside of my daily job. Whereas when I had a, a W-2 or I, I worked at a Fortune 500, you kind of have tunnel vision on. You talk to the people in your organization, you do things that are aligned with your organization, as opposed to now, I'm so fortunate that I get to really double down on mentorship, reinvest my time into coaching. Uh, and then now I get to talk to cool people like you and have like these really interesting conversations about things I would never have talked about when I had a B2 job. So I'm, you know, I, I think for me, I'm seeing the world as kind of like now there's so many more options. Uh, and I really want to double down on investing in kids uh, and investing in the development of, of this business and pushing it nationally. Huh. I I think it's cool how you mentioned in uh, in our quick questions that we do beforehand that I post on Instagram. You mentioned how you would would want to tell the world that a job, quote unquote, you know, a career, a salaried position is not necessarily as secure as entrepreneurship, as going out on your own and creating your own thing. And you're talking about creating your own thing and how now you get to kind of pick and choose these pieces that are part of your personal program and existence, right? You say, I want to guess on some podcasts. So you go out and do it. You know, I want to volunteer with this school board. So you go out and do it. It's not a nine to five, pull in to the garage, you know, it's over, go to bed, right? Like mm -hmm. you get to find so much more uh, joy potentially, right? And creation and creativity. And so maybe fill me in what, 
What are the biggest things day to day that are bringing you joy and that you hope will continue to bring you joy? Yeah, great question. I think the the first thing that I will say is kind of a blanket statement. So my business is is pre-revenue right now. So we're we're still growing. Um, I have a few clients on on board right now, and we're getting close to a deal with my first. So uh, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but but still pre-revenue, which is a scary time. I feel like this is the place in life that I've been wanting to be for 10 years, 15 years. And I say that because I have always dreamt about being an entrepreneur. And that's probably because my dad was an entrepreneur while I grew up. He had his own video production business and did real estate and then development. And I never saw him clock in and ask his boss what he's supposed to do today. And so I didn't grow up with those expectations of, get an education, get a job, work for a boss for 40 years, and then get your pension. And so I, so I, I do want to illuminate, and, and this is something I just realized uh, over the last couple of weeks, that this is the place I've been waiting to be. Yeah, I don't have a ton of money, and I'm self-funded, and I'm working my tail off, but like this is what I wanted. And so I'm happier now with my career than I've ever been period, point blank, and there's no comparison. No comparison. When I think about what brings me joy today, it's the fact that I do things the way that I want to do them. And that's really important to me because I believe that I sometimes have this like smartest guy in the room mentality where it's like, I want to do it my way. And if, you know, if we're not doing it my way, then we might as well not do it. And that doesn't play well in a corporate environment. And so here I get to choose how I interact with my business, choose what I do, what I don't do, what, who, who is my customer, who's not my customer. Um, but more importantly, when I think about the brand of the business, the brand is me. The brand is, what I, is everything I say and I do. And to me, I am more authentic in the work that I do now than I've ever been able to be. And so I feel more fulfilled in the work that I do every day. What brings me joy is when I get to talk to people like you who are like, tell me more about this thing. Because it's, it's not just a business. It's not like I opened a, a Subway franchise or a Burger King. You know, this thing didn't exist. And now it, now it does. And when I show it to someone, and it, it's super vulnerable, right? Because there's this thing that like I made with my bare hands and you don't want someone to say, well, that thing sucks. Like, <laughs> you know, why would you do that? Yeah. Um, but when someone validates it or someone says, man, that's so cool. Or where have you been? That makes me so happy because it gives me a boost of energy to know, okay, I'm on the right path. I may not have money flowing in yet. I may not be nationally known, but I'm on the right path. And I think the thing that entrepreneurs can do better than I think the rest of society is delayed gratification. We know that if I just do the right things for long enough, and Angela Duckworth talks about this in her book. Um, Huge fan of Angela Duckworth, by the way. Yeah. 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 She's awesome. So she says this in her, in her book, Grit, that it's just being able to take no and be persistent for longer than anyone else is. That's all it is. 
It doesn't mean I can be stubborn. I have to pivot. I, I've pivoted my business a ton. I've modified. I talk to people I admire and get new ideas. But I just have to be willing to do this for long enough and power through the discomfort, the uncertainty, the doubt to get to where I know this is going to go. And that's what entrepreneurs, they have this unflinching belief that they're going to make it, whether they will or not, whether we will or not, we have this undying belief that we will. And that's what motivates me right now. And I just, I have so much fulfillment from that. I love that. Yeah, it is really satisfying. You, you talk about presenting something that you've created, right? With your bare hands, you're like, hey, I made this thing. Does, you know, does anybody like it? You know, and I, I do the exact same thing with my podcasts and the work that I do, right? It's like, hey, so I did this interview with this Ethan guy. I really liked it you might too, you know, (laughs) it's like you put it out there and you're like, eh, eh, you know, good conversation, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. And there is something special uh, about it and fulfilling about it where even if, you know, I don't get paid to have this conversation with you, right? Like my wax museum is not paying my bills, right? It's paying a total of zero bills. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, this, this amazing, satisfying experience when you get to make something and you just feel good about it, right? And so as we get into the very tail end of this interview, uh, maybe take a few minutes and tell me at the end of your life, this is the last question, at the end of your life, when you are looking back on everything you've done. You've created this business. I mean, you've lived in Puerto Rico and tons of U.S. states. You've traveled and seen tons of things. You, you know, have a great family and whatever experiences you've had up till now. And then include the experiences that you haven't had yet. When you look at everything at the end, what are the things you think you'll be most proud of and satisfied with? We had a long car trip recently and we were talking about this question of how do you want to be remembered when when you die and and i think that ties into this for me a little bit Uh, I'll, i'll i'll preface the question with that which the way i want to be remembered when i die is i want for people to know believe that i did what i thought was right even if it was severely unpopular, severely unpopular. And when I think about the work that I do now and what is this all for? You know, I I have these, I often have these thoughts of mortality and and why are we doing all of this and what is it all gonna mean at the end of it? Whatever, Whenever that end might come. I think the most important thing for me, Alex, is I want for someone to feel important as a result from having interacted with me. I want someone to feel worthwhile as though they're more than maybe what they initially thought or suspected because we interacted. Uh, I, I appreciate, I think back to this basketball season that we just ended and one of the one of the seniors that we graduated, I've coached him for three years and he was a leader 
from the time he was a sophomore, you know, 14, 15 years old, probably 15 years old. And when, you know, I gave him his last hug as he was going on and he said, just coach, thanks for the support. You've always been there for me. And man, like I had to kind of turn around a little bit because I had a, you know, a tear coming into my eye because I don't have children myself. And so when I think, and I, and I don't know that I'll have children, it's not really an interest of mine. And so when I think about my legacy I, or whatever you leave behind, how people remember you, I think of it in terms of the kids that I get to interact with. And am I causing them to know the greatness that they have within them, causing them to know that they can be more than maybe what they've thought, than what people have told them? Um, that to me has ripples that go far beyond the 80 years or whatever it is that I'll get here. You know, I want those ripples to go for generations. And maybe that's, you know, optimistic or idealistic. Um, but we get such a small time here. Why would you want your, your impact to be measured in terms of money or revenue or assets? Like those things aren't going to last any, any longer than you. But the people that you touch, especially the people who, the people who will be here after you, that to me is what I think your legacy should be should be remembered by. And, and I heard this from one of my mentors early in my career, and it, it shaped my view of what a leader is. And he said, the true leaders are not the ones that make it to the top of the mountain. The true leaders are the ones that bring others to the top of the mountain. And that's how I want my life to go, is I want to bring others with me. Maybe I won't ever make it to whatever ideal I have for myself, professionally or personally, but I want to help others do that. That means that means a ton to me. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I just got to say, if you bring the same energy that you brought to this conversation, <laughs> dude, you don't have to worry about people remembering you. Like, people will be like, Ethan, like, that was my guy. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's kind of you, man. I appreciate that. So I, and I, I just want to say, finally, I really appreciate you coming on the show and just want to say thank you. The pleasure was all mine, Alex. I had a blast talking with you. And thank you, not just for listening to and supporting the show, but also for listening to the people around you. Remember to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco.